Welcome to Open Your Eyes, a podcast about opening your eyes to a new view of life. Thanks for joining us today. Well, we're just about there at the end of year 2021. Can you believe it? It's been a year to remember. So many things have happened, and in many ways, our life has been disrupted and redirected. And I hope that this podcast has been a help to you this year. You know, our perspective directs our actions. And my hope is that after listening to this podcast, you have a new perspective of yourself, the possibilities in your life, and how you can find your way forward. Sometimes it helps to zoom out a bit and view things from a broader or different view. So I hope today as you listen, you get a better view of your place in this world and how you can live to your potential. As always, if you like these podcasts, share them. And it helps if you subscribe to this podcast so you automatically get the next podcast as it is released each week. Let's get started. Today, I'd like to talk about your strategy for life. In U.S. presidential elections, a candidate has won the electoral vote in all states only three times. Two times, George Washington won all the electoral votes, running effectively unopposed. And in 1820, James Monroe ran unopposed and carried all 23 states in the Union at that time. A complete 50-state victory has not been accomplished since. Now, the closest was in 1972 when Nixon lost just Massachusetts, and in 1984 when Ronald Reagan, the oldest person to ever be elected, lost only Minnesota. Reagan's strategy? Appealed to the so-called Reagan Democrats, who were those northern blue-collar workers affected by the struggling economy and southern voters who valued strong national security. And he did it with his television skills. Now, there are thousands of research papers, books, and articles written about campaign strategy, the do's and don'ts of how to win an election against an opponent. And the strategies are as diverse and complicated as the candidates themselves. Now, what were the strategies at play in the most recent presidential election? Well, Joe Biden had a series of strategies. The first was designed to win back Michigan. Michigan was a part of three Rust Belt states that Trump had snatched by the narrowest of margins from Democrats in 2016. And if Biden could retake Michigan and Wisconsin and Pennsylvania, he would be in a prime position to topple Trump. Biden's strategy was twofold. Get out the black vote and peel off the working class white men and suburban voters who had favored Trump in 2016, but had since soured on Trump because of his controversial style. To do this, Biden staked out a moderate lane and bet that these voters would come to him as a moderate. Also, as the coronavirus pandemic hit in full force, Biden pivoted his message, hoping to highlight that his deep governmental experience would be necessary during a crisis as compared to Trump's chaotic, more seat-of-the-pants style. Well, Trump's strategy, like in the 2016 election, focused on courting blue-collar workers, and Minnesota seemed to be a target. He estimated 250,000 residents who didn't go to college, Trump's targeted group, were not registered to vote in 2016. So his team started a campaign to find them and get them registered to vote. 
In Michigan, Trump followed his strategy of 2016. Woo the older industrial and rural parts of the state with his America First rallies and improved economic talk. But coronavirus hampered his ability to meet in person for many of those rallies. The Trump campaign tried to micro-target Latino voters. While Trump was unlikely to win the overall Latino vote, his team targeted voters from Cuba, Colombia, Venezuela, Nicaragua, uh, who might be receptive to Trump's anti-socialist messaging. Trump's last strategy was to shore up the evangelical voters, but that wasn't very successful. This was more of a slippery slope because he had lost support among these voters. Trump's weakness was best described by Richard Land, the president of the Southern Evangelical Seminary, who said, All the evangelicals I know have expressed chagrin or concern or heartburn about some of the president's vocabulary and some of the president's posturing towards those with whom he disagrees. In the end, Trump's strategy in Michigan, it worked. He improved his votes in Michigan by 365,000 votes. But Biden's strategy worked better, adding nearly 522,000 votes. And given the close margins in Michigan, that made all the difference for Biden. The end result of the election was that Michigan, Wisconsin, and Pennsylvania turned back to blue states, and two states went from red to blue for the first time in 20 years, Arizona and Georgia. So whether you voted for Trump, Biden, or anyone else, is not the point of today's message, but rather what we can learn from their attempts to win. You see, each employed a set of interconnected actions and tactics to win. In other words, they employed a strategy. And while one candidate may have chosen a better strategy or carried out their strategy more effectively, the point is they had a strategy. Now, can you imagine a candidate entering a presidential campaign without a strategy? It wouldn't make sense at all, would it? But many of us often try to win at life without a strategy. So as you look to a new year in 2022 and begin to think about your goals moving forward, let me ask the question of the day. Do you have a strategy for your life? Now, I've spoken to groups about having a strategy for life dozens of times. And each time I ask the question, do you have a written strategy for life? I usually get about 10% of the audience who raises their hand. And it's fascinating the difference between those that do and don't have a strategy. A strategy for life makes all the difference. So, what is a strategy? Well, in today's day and age, when someone in business wants to sound like they know what they're talking about, they throw the word strategy into a sentence. But few people really know what a strategy is. The word strategy comes from the Greek word strategos, meaning the art of the general. The general sees things from a different perspective, and it is from that perspective that strategy is best designed and employed. Now, some people think that goals are strategies. Can you imagine the great Hannibal saying, our strategy is to beat Rome? No, that was his goal. His strategy was bringing hidden strengths against his enemy's weaknesses at the point of attack. Other people think that descriptions of their business tactics are strategies, but there's a distinct difference. For example, in your strategy for life, you may decide to read each morning for 30 minutes. That is a tactic. But why are you reading? To what end? That starts to form your strategy. So tactics alone are not strategies. You must be clear about your end outcome. So 
A strategy is a dynamic collection of interwoven tactics that enable you to reach and sustain advantage in life. Now, some of you are business owners, and I would ask you, what's your strategy to grow in 2022? You need one. It needs to be written, well done, and use the principles we're about to discuss right now. There is a power to having a clear strategy, both in life and business. For example, let's consider IKEA. Did you know that IKEA is the largest furniture manufacturer or distributor in the world with almost $40 billion in sales? And the question is, what is IKEA's strategy? Well, let me first ask you the question. What does IKEA do that is unique? Well, your answer probably is something like, they sell ready-to-assemble furniture that comes in flat boxes, or they force you to walk through a maze of showrooms before you come to the warehouse and check out, or the furniture is very affordable, or is of modern Scandinavian design, or they are the first furniture retailer to put stores in almost every major country. Well, knowing this, what can you tell me about IKEA's strategy? Well, their size and scale and the fact that they're in every major country gives them an advantage in terms of buying power. And because their products all come in boxes, they can make the product in one country very economically and ship it all over the world less expensively, something that other furniture manufacturers can't do. And this makes the furniture less expensive. The makeup of the stores allows IKEA to fulfill orders immediately, allowing customers to take their furniture with them, increasing their level of satisfaction. And the store design creates an imaginative tone in the shopper's mind helping them envision furniture in their own apartment or home. And this also increases the amount sold to each customer. Now, IKEA's strategy is more complex, but knowing what you know, how hard would it be for another furniture company to replicate or compete against IKEA? Very difficult, because you'd need this scale, design, reputation, manufacturing capabilities, and other unique tactics that IKEA uses to dominate in the market. So just like IKEA's strategy has given them lasting advantages, so you too can create huge advantages in your life if you're living based on a strategy versus just letting life come to you however it comes to you. Now, some of you on this podcast also own a business, and I've coached hundreds of business owners over the years, and you would be surprised how few have a real strategy. Let me give you a simple example. Let's say one of your key business activities is to find customers. And the truth is that in business, people buy you long before they buy your product. So what strategy have you put in place to make you more attractive? A strategy to improve you would make all the difference. Frank Sinatra is viewed as one of the greatest musical artists of the 20th century, having sold 150 million records worldwide. As a young man, he knew he wanted to sing, so he dropped out of high school and began his singing career. For eight years, he tried to launch his singing career by singing in clubs and doing one-time gigs, and he did this while he worked odd jobs to pay for food. But he didn't have a strategy. He was just trying really, really hard. Frustrated with his lack of progress, one day a close friend told him, you don't sing very well, and you should take lessons. What kind of lessons, he asked? Singing lessons. He had never had singing lessons. So his friend told him he should get lessons from a vocal coach who lived above a local shop. He'd helped a lot of people. 
but he warned him that the coach was a bit of a drunk. So when Sinatra first approached the teacher, the surly man told Sinatra he didn't think Sinatra could sing, but would be willing to start with lessons a few days a week. Sinatra said that when he started learning, the world just opened up to him. His coach taught him things he didn't know, and he expanded his vocal range significantly. And not only did his singing improve, but his understanding of the business improved. And this understanding helped him meet the right people, get on the radio, and he soon understood what he needed to do, and he had a strategy. He needed to be the lead of a major band, get on the radio, and record. So he got started. And thanks to his vocal training, Sinatra could now sing two tones higher. And he auditioned to sing Our Love, his first solo studio recording. He leveraged this into becoming the lead singer of the Tommy Dorsey Band in Chicago. And it was there that he recorded over 40 songs, all because he stopped just singing and got a strategy to win. Sinatra then signed with Columbia, and the rest is history. Now, Sinatra says without that time with his coach and a strategy, he would not likely have ever become what he has become in his career. So maybe you've been just singing in your life or business, trying to reach your goals, but lacking a clear strategy to win. Perhaps it's time for a strategy. Now, there are several important steps in creating your strategy for life. Every step is essential, and if done well, can make a huge difference. The first and most important part of a strategy is to know, really know what it is you're trying to become. This seems obvious, but you'd be surprised how few people ever decide this essential fact. Articulate what you want to become in the form of an aspirational statement. Recently, I was having a coaching session with a woman about her strategy for life. And after asking her a series of questions, she thought deeply about some of the answers. And in response, she told me one of her life's aspirations was to become the first Hispanic woman to advance to a corporate level in her company. She told me that would prove to herself, to her family, team, and all Hispanic women that they can do what they set out to do. And with this aspiration identified, we went to work to create a strategy for her to bring this about. Imagine trying to create a strategy without knowing your highest aspiration or mission in life. You know, in a workshop I led on finding your strategy in life, a father wrote in his workbook, I want to live so my children will want to follow my example in being a man of virtue and excellence in life. That aspiration is powerful. Now, to find your true aspirations, I found it helpful to identify my roles in life. My roles are father, spouse, son of God, business leader, friend. And for each role, I then try to identify what I aspire to in that role. For example, let's say a role is that of a business leader. And then I write an aspirational statement. For me, that statement is, I want to help my leadership team rise to their fullest potential, place people first, and create a business that pursues excellence on the way to becoming a world-class destination of choice for our community. Or an aspirational statement for the role of father might be to love my family with all my heart, apologize quickly, give fully, 
and be an example of charity to my children. Whatever your aspirational statements might be, they are the start of your strategy. The next step in your strategy for life is to do two types of analyses, an internal analysis and an external analysis. Businesses do the same thing. First, they assess the internal resources, capabilities, weaknesses, and strengths of their business. And almost every business has done this with a SWOT analysis. SWOT stands for strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats. And to do this simple exercise, take a piece of paper, draw a large box, then draw a line down the middle vertically, and then down the middle horizontally. This creates four boxes. In the first box, write the title strengths, in the second weaknesses, and so forth. Let's say I was doing my SWOT analysis. In my strengths column, I might list such things as my talents or my established beliefs or my skills. And under weaknesses, I might list my propensity to put things before people or my writing skills and so forth. Under opportunities, I might list such things as growing the business I am leading or becoming the type of grandfather I desire and so forth. And under threats, such things as relationships at risk if I don't change or health factors at risk if I don't do something different and so forth. Once you have listed the items on your SWOT chart, you'll be surprised at what you'll learn. I've done this exercise with a lot of people, and every time they learn something they didn't realize before. Try this with your kids or your business partners. They and you will look at things differently as a result. For example, let's say in your role as mother, you do a SWOT analysis. You think deeply about your strengths and weaknesses. You assess the threats you face to becoming who you want to become and so forth. And in so doing, you will find hidden gems that will inform your strategy. Then once you've listed your weaknesses, strengths, opportunities, and threats, pick one item from that list. Identify the one item that if you focused just on that one thing, it would help you the most in reaching your stated aspirations. Just one item. That's where you focus first. For example, in your aspirations as a mother, Perhaps one threat you identified was your propensity to use social media excessively when you're with your kids. You let social media interrupt you a lot, and you realize that it sends a message to your kids as to what is important. Therefore, you decide, when you're with them, to make conversation the most important thing, to be present with them. Most recently, a woman at one of my seminars had this epiphany. She said, I will make more progress focused on my strengths than anything else. And another person said, I've got to focus on my people skills or my business will not prosper. An internal analysis is essential and it will reveal your strategic focus. In 2005, the Disney Corporation was struggling. Their stock price was $23 a share. And seven years earlier, their stock price was $41 a share. So in short, Disney had stopped growing for many, many years. Years earlier, the CEO, Michael Eisner, brought in Jeffrey Katzenberg as Disney Studios chairman. At the time, Disney prided itself in being the premier animation studio. Under Katzenberg's leadership, The Little Mermaid and other projects were a huge success. Then in 1993, a divide surfaced between Katzenberg and Eisner. And when Eisner refused to name Katzenberg as his successor, 
Katzenberg went on to found DreamWorks with partners Steven Spielberg and David Geffen. John Lasseter, another Disney Studios executive, was fired by Eisner for promoting computer animation. He would end up at Pixar. Without their key talent, Disney Studios floundered. They focused on the same old ways of doing animation. All the while, other studios were making huge strides with their computer animation. In the year 2000, Eisner signed an agreement with Pixar for five films, and they were a huge success. Toy Story, A Bug's Life, Toy Story 2, Cars 1 and 2. These were major successes, but not developed or owned entirely by Disney. When the Pixar contract was up in 2005, Disney was at risk of losing their only real successes in the prior five years, which weren't even created by their own studios. Disney lacked a strategy and was floundering partly because the company was being run by his CEO, who was more interested in his own mood and self-promotion than that of the company. So in 2005, Disney's contract with Eisner expired and he was replaced as CEO. And with that change, something else happened to Disney. They found their strategy. You see, Disney had strengths and weaknesses, and they realized that their studio talent was weak. They were behind in computer animation, but Disney had a strength, a well-perfected marketing machine, merchandising, theme parks, movie distribution, and they knew how to take a character and make it profitable. That was their strength. Their weakness was coming up with new characters. So what did Disney do? Well, once they understood their strengths and weaknesses, they purchased Pixar for $7.4 billion then Marvel for $4 billion, and then a controlling interest in Lucasfilms and Star Wars for $4 billion. They acquired the characters and talent. This was their new strategy. You see, they lost their pride over who created the characters and went about buying and growing those characters using their distribution strength. They invested in their distribution channels as well. They purchased ESPN, ABC, Hulu, and a host of online channels overseas. Today, the Disney stock is $152 per share, six times higher than it was in 2005. What's the lesson? A real assessment of strengths and weaknesses, opportunities and threats can lead you to strategies that win. Now, the next type of analysis for doing your strategy for life is an external analysis. An external analysis is an assessment of what Larger factors are impacting your ability to reach your goal in life. What forces are impacting your ability to win? And these forces might include your employer, the economy, health, changing ages of family members, technology, time, distance, and other factors. So, for example, let's say one of your strengths you identified in your internal analysis was your ability to connect with people. And you believe that if you can magnify that strength and become more skilled at it, You could improve your business and resources for your family. That's great. But the external forces impacting you might include the impact of COVID on your ability to connect with other people. So perhaps you need to shift and pursue a strategy of becoming best in the world at digital communications and making Zoom work easily for you. So here's what I suggest. Make a list of the external factors impacting your ability to reach your goals. Then put an arrow beside each factor. That arrow will point up or down, depending on whether that factor hurts or helps your efforts. 
then identify how you can leverage or reduce the impact of that factor. Let me give you an example of the power of understanding external factors. If you've ever traveled to India, you have to be amazed at the sheer craziness of the traffic and types of traffic that fill the roadways. India is about one-third the size of the U.S. in terms of land size, but has four times the population. This results in 172 people per square mile in India and 14 people per square mile in the United States. So you can imagine the traffic issues. And it's not unusual for a major street to have buses, cars, trucks, motorcycles, scooters, bicycle, horses, wagons, elephants, and a host of other means of transportation. Needless to say, transportation is a huge limiting factor on the economy. If students could travel, they could get a better education. If workers were mobile, they could find better jobs. It's the key to economic growth. Now, India's average household income is $1,670 U.S. dollars per year. And as a result, there are only about 22 cars for every 1,000 people in India. So car ownership is almost impossible. Most people travel on a scooter because they're affordable. But they're also subject to weather and distance restrictions as a result because it rains a lot in many parts of India. Now, if you had the goal of improving car ownership for Indian citizens, what would your external analysis include? Well, a host of things. The most being cars need to be as affordable as scooters. You need to protect families from the weather. That's essential. And you need to figure out how to sell to people directly without going through dealers so you don't have to pay a profit and so forth. Well, as a result of external analysis like this, a locomotive company named Tata Motors set out to make a car that most families in India could afford. To do so, they had to overcome a number of challenges, the biggest of which was eliminating anything unnecessary on a car to make it as light as possible. You see, they mounted a two-cylinder scooter engine above the rear wheels to eliminate a long drivetrain, they used plastic for the body, put only one instrument in the dash, used only two doors, no radio, no AC, simplified seats, one windshield wiper, and you get the picture. Where do they sell the cars? Well, where people buy scooters, at flea markets. Tata became one of the largest selling car brands in India, and they did it by navigating the external factors. You see, they could have launched a car like all the other car companies, but they didn't. They use their external analysis to guide them in their thinking. Here's the point. When you look at the external conditions in your life, you may have to make some modifications to your strategy. Perhaps your chosen career isn't working, your daily schedule doesn't allow you to do what matters, or you don't like the group of friends you've inherited, and so forth. It will require some changes, and that's the value of an external analysis. Perhaps your business will require you get super skilled at working online or learn how to use social media advertising and increase your ability to connect with people remotely. You know, one of the interesting things about COVID-19 has been watching how the changing external conditions in our life have caused so many people to adopt new strategies for life. People have reevaluated where they live. They've changed careers or started their own business. In short, external factors matter. So, start your strategy for life by defining your leading aspirations. 
then complete an internal analysis to identify your strengths, weaknesses, and so forth. Then consider the external factors that will shape your strategy. That is a great start. And if you do this, you will see your strategy taking shape. And here's the point of the day. When you approach 2022 in this way, with a strategy, it's empowering. I mean, consider setting New Year's goals in the usual make-a-list approach. It lacks relevance, right? And like Sinatra, who was just trying to sing without a strategy, or Disney, who was trying to do the same old thing without a relevant strategy, it gets tiresome setting goals and making little progress. Goals with a strategy brings energy, new paradigms, relevance, and success. So as you think about your strategy for life, you'll want to consider the important aspects of life, including your family, relationships, your mindset and personality, taking care of your physical body, your education, ability to communicate, money and investments, your career, growing your social network, hobbies and having fun, using technology, your involvement with causes and philanthropy, religion and spirituality, your emotional health, and perhaps your life's legacy. And once you've considered a few of these factors and completed your analysis, next, you need to start trying on a few strategies. Just like clothes shopping at the department store, you try something on and see how it looks and feels and evaluate it before buying into it. And I'm going to give you a powerful list of potential strategies, but it's going to have to wait until our next podcast because we've used our time today. So between now and next week, take the time to define your aspirations, complete your internal SWOT analysis, and then your external analysis. Then you'll be ready to run next week when we assemble your winning strategy for life. I'd like to take a minute and thank you for joining our podcast community. I know most of you personally, and I'm so grateful for your friendship and look forward to hearing from you. And I hope these podcasts give you a little hope in life. They are a gift from all of us here to you in hopes that we can become better together. Thanks for being here today. And don't forget to join us next week for another podcast as we learn to open our eyes to who and what we can become. 